Uh, this morning we're reading from Luke 15, verses 13, 11 to 32. This is the story of the prodigal son, um, a story which many of us, though not all, may know of about. Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, the next reading is Matthew 6, verses 9, 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Karen. 
So we're talking about prayer. And Christians, Christians should be prayers, right? Should be people who pray. If we believe that Jesus' death on the cross has brought us into a peaceful and loving relationship with God, then it follows, logically, I think, that drawing near to God in conversation, experiencing the relationship through prayer is really important. And I'm sure that some of you have good prayer lives. I know this, in fact. Um, There's discipline and even delight there. But I'm always also just as sure that many of us are struggling in prayer. We struggle to make prayer a priority. We struggle to pray wholeheartedly. I think some of us really want to pray, but we just don't get to it, or we just can't establish patterns and stick to them. And I reckon some of us, if we were really brave, might admit that we want to want to pray, but the desire's not really there. Some of us might actually have never prayed before. You know, we don't really know what to do, and we wonder who or what or how prayer works. And the reason I know all this about you is because I've experienced all of that myself and more. In my long life... As a Christian, decades long now I've been a Christian, I've experienced prayer, um, my prayer life has been very up and down, I would say. Thing is, I've been formed really well in my thinking about God. And I teach you and others the beautiful truths of the gospel. But there have been times, I confess it to you, that I've basically ghosted God. I've put off touching base with God, haven't been paying attention to what God is wanting to do in my life, what the Spirit is prompting in me. There have been some really long stretches where my faith has felt very dry. Sometimes I'll do anything and everything except pray. And I wonder if you've been there too. Maybe you're there now. Has prayer become a duty? Is it for emergencies only? Or is it something that only happens when you're here in church? If you struggle with your prayer life, what I want to say is you are not alone. And you don't have to pretend that it's otherwise. It's actually helpful if we're honest about this, I think. Many of us have great theology. We know the truths of the Christian faith here, but we're not experiencing it. And I want to say I think that's a problem Because prayer is God's gift to us. And the Christian life without prayer is like, I think, unwrapping a brand new games console. What's the best one at the moment? Because I don't know, right? What's the latest PS? Five. Are we up to five? Okay. It's like unwrapping PS5 and putting the box up on a shelf and looking at it and going, I have got the best thing. But not getting into it. What do you do? You get into it and you get into the games and you learn and you figure out how to do the things. I think Christian life without prayer is like that. It's like being a spectator. It's like a 2D experience of the full life that Jesus came to bring us. You know, without prayer, nothing much will change. Nothing much will change within us or around us. 
we won't grow, we'll become stunted in our faith and we will miss out on the joy of being in communication with God. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer together as a way of renewing or maybe even beginning our prayer lives. The goal is to get us praying by following Jesus' way of prayer. And I'm excited by this because I have had those very dry times, but I've sought help. I've been working on this now for years. I actually pay someone to help me with my prayer life. And it's made a huge difference to me, to my own life, my relationships, and in ministry. And I would love all of us to experience that. You know, Jesus' first followers sat back and watched him for a while. And then one day they said, can you teach us how to pray? Why did they do that? They were religious people, right? They had all kinds of ways of praying from the Jewish religion. But I think they were watching Jesus and they thought, I want what he has. If you read the Gospels and you're looking for Jesus praying, what you will see is that Jesus prays all the time. He prays in all kinds of circumstances his instinct every occasion publicly in small groups with thanksgiving with lamenting asking God for help and really noticeable I think is that he's always nicking off to pray on his own Matthew 14 23 Jesus went up by a mat, up on a mountain by himself to pray Mark 1 35 in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up and went out to a deserted prey place and there he prayed. Mark 6, 46. Jesus made all his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side and then saying farewell to the crowd, he went up a mountain to pray. And Luke 5, 15. The news about Jesus spread and crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why was Jesus praying all the time? He was so powerful. He was healing people. Did he really need to pray? If we think that prayer is about getting God to do stuff for us, then it doesn't make sense for Jesus to be praying all the time, does it? Well, what Jesus is showing us is that prayer is about union with God. It's about relationship. It's where we express dependence and where we are renewed. It's where we receive God's love and comfort. It's where we are strengthened for what's coming next. And so Jesus' disciples say to him, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer, which is just not fancy, is it? It's very short and simple. And if you're like me, you might have learned it as a child. My mother taught it to me before we went to bed. She taught me to say the Lord's Prayer. And it's a great prayer because what it does is it reflects Jesus' own pattern of prayer. And so today, we're going to start just by looking at the first line, our Father in heaven. You might be really used to calling God your Father, but it was really not a common thing. In the Old Testament, God was referred to as the Father of Israel sometimes, but it was just one of many images that pointed to God as the leader or creator of people. Interestingly, in Isaiah 64, God talks about himself as a Father and he's longing He says, I long to be your father, but it's not happening. There's this separation. The potter and the clay image is a bit like that. It's another one that's used quite a lot by the Old Testament prophets. And at the retreat, we made those vessels and we prayed about the verses in the Bible that speak about us being like clay in the hands of the potter. And it left us with this sense of awe 
of God, an appreciation that God is so powerful and in control over all things. It gave us also a sense of smallness, appropriate smallness, I think, and dependence of God. We are in his hand. We are at his mercy. But the thing about the potter and the clay image is it's not very, actually not very comforting. It's quite ambiguous because it begs the question, who is the potter? What are they going to do with me? Am I safe? And Jesus answers those questions when he says to his disciples, pray like this, the Father in heaven. Call God Abba Father, he said, a very familiar way to address your dad, your father. Jesus says, we no longer simply pray to the great creator, we talk to a parent. Jesus brings us so close to God. I was going to say we get zoomed in, but after the pandemic, that means something totally different. But you know, it's like looking from a distance and suddenly you get the sharp focus and you're right up front. A bit like I was thinking, you know, we, a lot of us watched the coronation. Imagine if you rocked up to the coronation in your pyjamas and just went and sat at the feet of the king and started having a chat. That's what Jesus does. He takes us from that distance to this proximity with God. And this was Jesus' whole mission. This is what he came to earth to do. He came to move us from fear and hiding from God to draw us into God's presence by his blood shed on the cross. We don't need priests or animal sacrifices or special rituals or words anymore to get close to God. You can go and call him Father. Now, we've all got um, experience of being someone's earthly child, mothers and fathers on earth, good and bad experiences. And some of us here want to smash the patriarchy. I know that. So it doesn't necessarily mean when we hear call God Father in heaven, it doesn't necessarily, we're not all leaping to think that this is good news either. So the question now is what kind of father is the heavenly father? And Jesus tells us what he's like. He tells us in that story we just read. And he tells us by his own life. But I just want you to look at that story. It's very, it is a very famous story. I want you to, to look at it now and tell me, what do you learn about the Heavenly Father from that story? You can shout it out. It's good if you look and see what, dra what draws you in. He's forgiving. Yeah, so forgiving. Unimaginably forgiving. Take, take my money and run and then come back and I'll embrace you. Yeah, what else? Compassionate. Yeah, this, his heart goes out to his children. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? He lets him go, gives him autonomy. He doesn't coerce him. Yeah. Yeah, he's watching it for him. He hasn't forgotten him. He hasn't kind of written him off. He's waiting. There's a sense that he's been standing at the gate for a while. Yeah, yeah, you come back. No, he runs. It's, there's something foolish about that, isn't it, when you think of... I mean, I put that Rembrandt painting on the front... That's not what they would have looked like. It's, but it's a good one when people want to kind of think about this story. But the idea that the head of the household, we talked about the head of the household in Ephesians, didn't we? The one with the power and so on. Foolishly running to the son. Yeah, so generous. Yeah. In what way? What, like, where do you see the generosity? There's a party for him. He gives him everything. He's celebrating him. That, his kids are so precious to him. Something else I noticed was how um, he's sort of patient, like with that second son when he's carrying on. 
you know, he listens to him and then he just patiently says, you know, you are with me. He lets him say it and he draws him in. He's loving, isn't he, the Heavenly Father? Endlessly loving, more than we can really comprehend and welcoming and safe, compassionate, generous, joyful. This is who Jesus says to pray to. And Jesus, in his own life, shows us what the Heavenly Father is like. Today is Trinity Sunday, the day we celebrate the Christian understanding that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are in perfect union and relationship with each other. And we believe in the Trinity because of what Jesus said about himself and the Father and the Spirit in the Gospels. In John, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the Father and I are one. So as we watch Jesus, as we see how he welcomed children, how he got angry at injustice, how he offered people forgiveness and restoration, how he had compassion for the sick and dying, how he loved people so well, even to the point of his own death, we can say, this is God's son. He's just like his father. We can trust the father to forgive and heal and restore us too. When Jesus instructs us to pray to the Father, he's inviting us to be part of the family with him, isn't he? You call, if this is my Father, you can call him Father too. We are Jesus' siblings. It's through Jesus and through his death that we get up close and personal with God. And it's the spirit that now lives within us. You had Pentecost last week that enables us to experience this relationship with him. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. We have been thrust right in the middle of that story that Jesus told. We're in the household. So through the love of the Father, the work of Jesus on the cross, and the spirit that lives in and among us, prayer becomes this safe place of love and transformation for us. Okay, so that's good theology. I've just given you more good theology, haven't I? Where is it hitting? Is it hitting you here? Are you liking the ideas? Or is something stirring in your heart as you think about your relationship with God? In order to pray, we actually really do need to understand that God is loving and welcoming, that he will forgive you when you turn to him and that he welcomes you as his beloved child. But somehow that knowledge is not always enough, often actually, because sometimes the blockers to prayer are in us. We actually need better self-knowledge as well. And so in the weeks to come, we will talk about particular blockers to prayer but just briefly now, let me point out some of them from that story that we see. Those two kids, and they might resonate with you. That first son, right, he thinks he's outgrown his father's house and he wants to live on his own terms. He doesn't actually think that God knows, what's, that the father knows what's best for him. He knows what he wants for his life. And for a time he lives so fast and experiences everything out there and all he wants is pleasure and what will serve him. When he hits bad times, he tries to fix it. I can do this on my own, he says, but he can't. And when he hits rock bottom, when he's sitting in the pigsty eating the pods, it just finally dawns on him, I actually do need my father. But it's been so long and it's been so kind of such a big thing that he's done. He, 
he just can't imagine that he'll be forgiven, right? And so he, he creates this big conversation in his head. This is what I'm going to say when I go to my father. I'll do a deal. I'll become a servant, this and that. He has no idea how deep the father's love for him is. He's never tested God this far. And it's hard to pray to God if you think you know what's best for your life and he doesn't. It's hard when you've been away for a long time to turn back. It's hard when you know or suspect there's something that you need to repent of, especially if it's big. These are the things that block us. And then there's the second son, right? Maybe you resonate with the second son. You haven't drifted away. You've been faithful. You've been here. You've been working. You've been serving. And sometimes you think, what for? Why do the slack ones seem to get the breaks? <laughs> the second son is disappointed with the father. It doesn't seem fair to him. Why am I going through what I'm going through when I've been following God all this time? Sometimes we get a bit jaded or cynical we wonder, does God really love me? Some of us saw Karen's play um, recently, and in that story, there's, there's this guy who's just got all these objections to God, intellectual objections. He's figured out God can't exist because this, this, and this. And then right sort of in the second part of the story, what we discover is something's happened in his life, right? When he was a teenager, I think, I'm probably getting this wrong, but he was in a car accident and his friend died. And he feels responsible. And he says, and I never set foot in a church again. Now, that's a very, you know, that's a huge thing. It reminds me of this son, you know, the first son in a way. But he's got his other reasons that are covering up the real reason why he will not return to God. And I think sometimes our busyness, our distractions, all those sorts of reasons are actually excuses that are covering up bigger things going on in our lives of why we can't draw near to God. And that's not to make any of us feel bad. It's just to alert you to that. What is keeping you? What is holding you back from coming close to the Father? Is it disappointment? Is it mistrust? We'll explore more of that as we go along. Well, the story gives us insight into the love of God and also into the things that threaten our intimacy with him. So what do we do? What do we do? Ironically, the thing we have to do to pray is to pray. I could have just said that at the start. If you want to start praying, you need to start praying. You know, you, we, need to, we need to actually take ourselves to the one who made us and knows us, knowing here that it's safe, even if we don't quite know it yet in our hearts. I'll be recommending a few books as we go along, and one of the books um, that's, you know, kind of appropriate at the moment because he just passed away is Keller's book on prayer. Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God is the title of his book. And this is my favourite quote, I think, in the whole book. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It's also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things that he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. 
We'll get back to that one another week. <laughs> That's a really interesting line, isn't it? Prayer makes it safe for God to give us the things that we desire. It's the way we know God. It's the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to. Okay, so how are we going to get praying? What I'm going to do each week is give you a couple of exercises. Let's call them exercises <laughs> to do through the week. All right, something to try, something that might be a little bit different to what you're used to. And this week, I want to invite you to um, aim to just enjoy being in the presence of the Heavenly Father and to open yourself up a little more to God to start to break through maybe some of those blockers and experience God's kindness. This week, I don't want you to treat prayer as work. I want you to treat it as rest or renewal or hanging out with God. So first thing, will you make a time and place to spend 10 minutes with God every day this week? Can you do this? You can set a timer, all right? And when it's stopped, you can just go. All right? Sit with God. I want you to sit there and I don't want you to do what the first son says and take your prepared speech. I want you to go not knowing what's going to happen. Sit down and just sit there and remind yourself that God looks at you with love. He's waiting, watching for you to come. He wants to be gracious to you and attentive. And just start off by saying, Heavenly Father, or loving God, if you prefer, and see what happens. All right? You might not have any more words. It might feel a bit awkward, actually. But you might enjoy the stillness, or you might realise you have a question for God, or a fear, or a joy that you want to share. Go to prayer with the desire to know more of who you are and who God is, and to build a relationship with him. Another book which is really helpful is Paul Miller's book, the Praying, A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. I'm going to put those two on the bookstore. You can borrow books. And Paul Miller in that book, his whole premise is he says, come to God, come to the Heavenly Father as a child. That's the relationship. Come messy, okay? You know, we see the kids running around here. Come to God like that, right? That's the way. You don't have to know what you're going to do next. Just come and sit and see what happens. And if you're distracted by something, maybe just invite God into that and explore that for a while. All right? It doesn't have to look like this perfectly ordered thing. All right. So 10 minutes a day. Can you do that? It'd be interesting to, if, you, if you can do that to see what it's like by the end of the week. And then maybe on one or two of those days, come. You could do it every day. Come with your Bible open or come with your booklet from this week. And just read that story of the prodigal son again slowly. And then ask God to be with you as you do that. And maybe he will show you some things about yourself that you need to know or things about him that you need to be reminded of and share that with God. It's kind of hard for me to explain, you know, because it will be your time, your praying with God. And come on Wednesday night, if you can. 
or in person because praying with other people really helps us. It really strengthens us. It's encouraging. We learn from one another as well and we join together in praying for our community and that's a different kind of thing which we'll talk about more but I encourage you to do that as well. We're going to pray together now. So why don't you just get comfortable in your seat. You might want to put things out of your hands. Just take some nice, deep, relaxed breaths in and out. You might even want to put your hands out, open to receive God's grace to you. And we say, Heavenly Father, you look at us in love and your spirit is with us. You know us through and through. You watch us grow. You watch us go through our days. And you know what will bring us home to you. And you know what's preventing us as well. Soften our hearts. Reorder our loves so that you are first in our affections. Thank you for being patient with us, for being generous with us, for your deep compassion. Help us to cooperate as your spirit works in us. Restore our joy, restore our peace as we draw near to you and deepen our trust. Would you grow your kingdom here and all around us? We long to be part of this. Amen.